Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World Welcome to World Spirituality Exploring the Unity within all cultures and faith traditions With your host, Rev. Paul John Roach So, hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. I'm your host, Paul John Rhodes, coming to you from Fort Worth in Texas. And today I welcome a return guest to the show. He's the author of several books. He's the director of the Institute for Embodiment Training. He's a Buddhist practitioner since 1972 and a certified rolfer since 1976. Today, Will Johnson joins me to talk about his new book. He's joining me from the beach in Costa Rica, by the way, folks. So if you if you hear the waves lapping or some uh, partiers having a good time, that's what it is, okay? He's, he's just, good Lord, we'd all like to be there right now. Anyway, no, his you, new book No, is, you would want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> no, we want to be right where we are, you know, because well, everything, actually, that's everything true. is everything. You know that that's true, and I could interject. You know, there is a there is a statement that says this very place is the lotus paradise, and that doesn't just mean the beach in Costa Rica. That means that we can only relax and be aware, just like a mirror. Whatever appears in our visual field, this very place becomes our lotus paradise. So uh, beautifully uh, put. Yeah. Beautifully put. Well, you know, I, I put up a, a Facebook post of a chair in my room. Uh, one of my rooms in the house, and I said, relax, take your rightful place, and find peace in the midst of the storm. And the reason I put that up was exactly what you're saying, Will, and that is that uh, whatever you are is your rightful place, you know. And exactly. To, to sit exactly. in that place in that moment is uh, is what is yours to do, and, and that is the perfect place because spirit is available everywhere in, in everything at all times. So that's that's the good news. And if we're good unity Students, as some of us listening are, will know that that is the the absolute truth of the one presence. So the book is called Breathing as Spiritual Practice, um, which really brings us to the moment, doesn't it? Because we can't breathe in the past or the future. It's experiencing the presence of God. And so we're going to talk about that today. And it, it's, uh, it's ancient breathing techniques uh, that are enshrined in but often neglected in Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. So, um, as we said earlier, uh, Will's, you know, a, a practitioner of the Buddhist um, tradition, which has got a lot of breathing techniques in it, um, but he wants to look at these other monotheistic traditions also. So, um, it's a joy, therefore, to welcome uh, Will Johnson to today's show. Welcome. Glad you're with us. Yeah, glad to be here. It's nice to talk to you again, Paul. So, yeah, the importance of the breath. You know, I, I do like the idea that you can't breathe in the past or the future, you know, that it, it, yeah. it can only happen now, right? So it does ground us in the moment, yeah? It, it, you know, ab 
Absolutely, and that is why I believe the breath has been so used as an object of focus for meditational practices, certainly within the Buddhist world. We're all, or many of us are quite familiar with that. I think uh, right now there's a growing movement to bring this awareness of breath into the theistic world. And what I'm getting at is that uh, there are you know, followers of Christianity, of Islam, of Judaism, that are all searching for a more direct, palpable, visceral experience of the presence of God. And many of these people are contacting me, and I've contacted many of them. And they're saying that they're doing this through, uh, through breathing, through focusing on breath, through opening to the uh, power, the potency of breath. So breath is here, and it's here right now. It's available all the time. We just have to take it. And as you mentioned in the book, you know, that this isn't uh, unknown in these traditions, right? The, the, the whole foundation of the creation of, of humankind was the breathing into the, the dust of Adam, right? The, the living breath of God. So this idea of breathing and, and, of course, Jesus focuses on meditation and prayer and the breath as well. And, and we know that in the, you know, Sufi tradition and... Um, you know, the mystical Judaic traditions, you know, Kabbalah and things like that, there's big emphasis on, on breath there. So it's, it's there, but it's sometimes been forgotten because we've got so uh, cerebral, intellectual, I think, in, in Western religions sometimes. Well, to the degree that we get lost in thought and identify with the speaker in our mind, and that really is the quality of consciousness that passes as normal in the world at large, we lose touch, literal uh, touch with the uh, felt experience of body and the process of breathing. And for those of us that do make this shift, that we're going to pay some attention to what actually this incarnation feels like and then start opening to the possibility of a breath up that could come through strong, relaxed, not forced, but surrendered to uh, it, it, you know, everything everything starts uh, starts changing. Everything everything starts shifting around, and we realize that the breath is extremely potent. Uh, scientifically, we know it's the oxygen in the air. I sometimes think of oxygen as the most potent free drug that's available to anybody on the planet. Mostly, we don't take it. Uh, you know, we breathe with just the amount of uh, breath. We take in just the amount of oxygen that we need to stay alive but not enough to go ecstatic and to open into a direct experience of, from the theistic uh, religion's perspective, the presence of God. So that, that was what launched me on uh, uh, the notion of going into a Christian monastery for 10 days and exploring this practice that, as you, uh, you know, mentioned right at the beginning, right from the book of Genesis, God blew light into Adam. There was something about the breath. He blew life into all of the dust motes that created Adam's body. And Adam became a living being. And I thought of that as perhaps a secret instruction uh, for an esoteric breathing practice that, sure, that was the breath that God blew into Adam. But what about the breath I'm taking right now? And what if I could soften, if I could relax, if I could surrender and allow a large breath that would be similar to that initial breath of God come into my body on the inhale, let go of everything on the exhale and keep breathing that way, how would that affect me? And as I found out, it affects, uh, it, it, it radically uh, alters uh, consciousness in the most wonderful ways possible.
Right, beautiful. And, you know, a lot of the terms that we use for spirit, right, uh, or spirit itself, yes. you know, is, is linked to the meaning uh, for breath. So uh, the, 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 ancient, the, the ancients knew this, that uh, the living breath is actually the spirit moving in and through us. Um, and so, so there's that direct connection. Yeah, and, and I like, you know, the idea that we get lost in in a reality that uh, we take for granted. We think that the trance of living in a three-dimensional world, world is the reality. And uh, so these that we want to escape from that into another world, forgetting that the the, the, it, the spirit interpenetrates, right? If we're if we're breathing, right. there's, there's spirit right there. It's not a question of finding. Right. And I think a lot of us back in the day, you know, wanted to escape from the society uh, into a, a more enlightened, idealistic place and, and realized in the journey that, you know, there, there's no such place. There is no Shangri-La except what's within us right now. So, you know, you have to bring it on home to the very ordinary events of our lives, right, which become extraordinary when we're actually present to them. Yeah, you know, you know, absolutely. And, you know, this very place right now, I have an opportunity to surrender to the potency, this impulse of breath that wants to uh, race through me like, uh, like a strong wind or I uh, uh, manifest the holding patterns in my body that keep breath restrained and restricted. And through that minimized breath, I start relating to the world in the most conventional way possible. That we live in this three-dimensional world of uh, apparently solid forms, but so many of the traditions tell us that's only half the picture. There is this other invisible realm uh, coterminous with the uh, very physical uh, formal appearance of the world that we could open up to as well. And for me, it's, you know, it's the breath and the reawakening of body uh, uh, through the breath that allows us to, in a sense, experience both of those worlds, the very uh, hard and solid formal world of appearances, but this other dimension. Uh, I don't know what people want to call this other dimension. Some people might call it God. Some people might call it uh, Mahamudra, the Mahamudra ground state. I call it the great wide open. Uh, uh, there's another dimension here that if we can become privy to it as well and in a sense live in both worlds simultaneously, something very interesting starts happening. And, you know, right at the onset of what you were saying, Paul, uh, you know, spirit uh, has so often been associated with breath. In the, uh, in the Judaic tradition, they talk about ruach, which is spirit, wind, breath. It's all the same thing. And the one that really is the most impactful for me is this notion in Christianity of in spiritu, uh, meaning that it, it, we're wanting to invite the spirit in. Well, in spiritu can, without much difficulty, be thought of as inspiration, which of course is another word for the inhalation of breath. So, uh, you know, these were the clues that I, you know, took with me into. Uh, uh, you know, into, into the retreat, and it was really a, really a wonderful, very meaningful time, uh, it, you know, that I was able to spend in retreat, just every moment opening to the possibility of the fullest inhalation available to me, not forcing, opening, surrendering, relaxing, and then just letting go on the exhalation over and over and over and over and over again. And it absolutely, what's interesting, I was going to say it absolutely alters consciousness, with the exception that the condition that you get into 
which just as we were speaking of, is in a sense a mix of the world of formal appearance, appearance and the spiritual world. It is invisible, but just as palpable once we open up to it. Uh, uh, you know, this is what you know. The practice seems to uh, to expose expose us to, and uh, it, 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 I, I just had to keep breathing over and over and over again, being aware of the breath and being aware of the possibility of surrendering to it. It was really a wonderful retreat that I was able to enter into. You know, Paul Paul Tillich said that uh, you can think of God as depth, right? Um, if you're not comfortable with other images of God, just think of the depth. What what is the deep things in your life? And you're yeah. talking about uh, breathing as depth, also. You know, when when yes. we pa when we panic, we kind of breathe shallowly. And right now, we're in the middle of all the uh, concerns and panic around the coronavirus, right. and um, right. you know, it could for force us to panic and and. Um, you know, run around worrying that we're going to get it and what's going to happen to the world. You know, everything's shut down. The, the stock exchange is volatile, etc. But, uh, you know, there's also that possibility, isn't there, when we're um, forced to not go out so much, you know, not to be around so, so many um, stimuluses, stimuli, that, you know, there's a chance to be still. You know, there's a chance to be calm. And it's almost like you're our own private retreat. So, in a way, the, you know, the book uh, is a nice analogy for that because, as you said, the book is based on 10 days at a, uh, a monastery. And some of us may be familiar with it. It's the Christ in the Desert Monastery uh, outside of Abiquiu in um, northwestern uh, New Mexico. Beautiful place, very close to Ghost Ranch, um, where George O'Keefe yes. uh, spent many years, yes. of course. Very fascinating landscape, isn't it? And um, I think it's 13 miles of dirt road to get to the monastery. That's right. So, yeah, it, it's not easy to get to. You have to, if they really want to go there. Uh, but it's run by the Benedictines, who, of course, have um, you know a long tradition of um, contemplative prayer and uh, practice in in that regard, and and uh, continue to do so today. So, yeah, um, obviously, it's going to be a profound thing to go into that. Um, into that situation but i just want to let you know folks if you can't get there you know you have this opportunity also to make that retreat into your own home right and um and experience some of the things that will experience right right where you are yeah you know absolutely and it, it is true the uh, christ in the monastery uh christ in the desert monastery it was extraordinary it's uh unbelievably beautiful it's a southwestern version of the garden of eden it's a fantastic place However, breath is with us every moment of our lives. You don't need to remove yourself from your life and go to some exotic uh, locale. You can even just, just one breath right now to open to the fullest potency of this inhalation coming in, letting it go. Even remembering many, many times during the day can be so life-altering and so life-changing. And then, of course, if you have time, maybe for a single day, you have a weekend day, you wake up in the morning, you start becoming aware of your breath throughout the entire day, and you go into sleep that evening. Or if you have a weekend, or if you have a week, or if you have a longer period of time. Uh, you know, this opening to breath, it can be done immediately, but our habit pattern is so strongly opposed to the surrendering to fullness of this next inhalation that you know we're really up against the uh, habit pattern of going off in thought and forgetting about our breath and then shutting it down so it's a kind of a refocusing of intention or intentionality 
And for me, I found after a few days, it definitely became easier and easier. You know, it was not a, it was a simple thing to do. It was not necessarily all that easy, especially in the beginning, because you start a retreat like this, and mostly what you become aware of is how unaware of the breath you are and how lost in thought we are most of the time. But when we bring the awareness back to the breath, that tends to pull the plug on this parade of unbidden random thoughts. And uh, that parade serves as a, uh, a curtain that uh, you know keeps this more spiritual dimension of all of ourselves uh, covered up and shrouded. Uh, but really, just after a short time paying attention to the breath, you start seeing cracks in that uh, enshrouding curtain. And, uh, you know, after a short period of time, the glimpses are, you know, really quite wonderful. They're available to any of us and all of us, Paul. Beautiful. And, you know, when I first started meditating back at the 70s, you know, I had to have complete silence in order to experience the silence, you know, and get very irritated if there was noises or somebody was playing something or whatever it was, you know. And until I realized that there's no such thing as complete silence in the outer, you know, there's always, uh, I, and even if there was, there's still the voices in your head, right, the monkey mind. Uh, and so there's always, there's always those distractions. So we folks have set this up today for you. Uh, all these noises you're hearing in the cafe where uh, where Will is have all been perfectly brought to you, so that so you can practice this. <laughs> practice this, and, and if anybody's got irritated and said, "Can't they? They can't be quiet. I can't hear anything with all that noise behind." This we did this perfectly uh, consciously for you, <laughs> so, so exactly. that you you would experience the the fact that we you can still be uh, in a calm, peaceful space, right? Regardless of. Um, of distractions, not easy sometimes, you know, we get pulled yeah. off. But it's a, it's a really good uh, analogy, actually, of, of what we're talking about here, yeah? Well, you know, that that is very fascinating. Uh, sure, if you're in a place that's very, very quiet, perhaps it's easier to go inside and pay attention to something like breath or the sensations of the body. But ultimately, what we have to realize is that wherever we are is the doorway. This very moment is the doorway. These very sounds, this very visual field, these sensations, perhaps it isn't a vast uh, silence like you get in the desert. Perhaps it isn't uh, a beautiful scene that you're looking out onto. Perhaps the sensations in your body aren't uniform or, uh, uh, um, uh, you, know, sh you know, shimmery. It doesn't matter. We want to pay attention to what's real, in the field of sensations that is our body. We want to pay attention to what's real in the visual field, this roughly elliptical visual field that we can see right now, letting go of saying, oh, I like this, I don't like that. The same thing with the field of sounds. And I do know that it's uh, you know fairly noisy here in this little seaside uh, you know, cafe that, uh, you know, that I'm sitting at. But th that's the practice, it's always about right now and that of course brings us right back to the breath as you said earlier in our hour here breath only happens right now the breath that happened uh, uh, a minute ago it's gone forever it doesn't exist the breath that's about to happen it doesn't exist all that exists is what we can be aware of right now and so breath is such a wonderful object uh, to pay attention to and then ultimately to surrender to its potency because it always opens us 
into the deepening gap, the experience of right now. And that to me is where the crack in the world of appearances opens and suddenly there we are. And we're just, uh, you know, sliding into the awareness of this uh, complement and alternative uh, dimension that uh, underlies the world of visible form. And it, it is, it is the spiritual dimension that we're all as equally a part of as we are individual bodies in a world of separate forms. You know, it's all here and it's all here right now. It, it just is a matter of, uh, you know, do we want it? Do we want to, uh, is there an impulse? Is there a push uh, from deep inside? Are we, you know, wanting to have the awareness of this alternate uh, perspective while we're, while we're alive, while we're living? Uh, some of us do. Probably most of the listeners on your show are, are, are people who do. And for those of us that are drawn to this other dimension, like iron filings to a magnet, the awareness of breath and the subsequent surrender to potency are, are, are just two of the most uh, you know, potent tools that I certainly have come across in all my years of being on this planet playing with all this stuff to, you know, to help us access uh, you know, this other dimension. Uh, and it's really all of our birthright. You know, so much of the time we get caught in our minds and there's worries and there's concerns and we have concepts about how reality is constructed and who I am. And all of that is very different from this other dimension of direct experience that can come through a growing, deepening awareness just the fact that, ah, here is this inhalation that wants to come in right now, here's this exhalation that's going out. It's a beautiful thing, uh, available to all of us right now. Absolutely, and you know, it's reciprocal. I, I like this idea, and, and you quote this in the book, you know, the idea that you take one step towards God, God takes a hundred steps to you. Meister yeah. Eckert said, uh, the eye by which I see God is the same eye by which God exactly. sees me, you know, which is exactly. the, the oneness, right? And it's the same with the breath, I think. The, the breath is not just a physical thing, it's spirit. It's, so when we're breathing, we're actually breathing God. In fact, that's one of your uh, images throughout the book, is, is that we're, we're very connected at a deep level to the essence of the spirit through, through that process, just as our eyes you know, uh, uh, in a reciprocal arrangement with God. And, and for those of us who are new to that, it's like, what? That's unbelievable. But once you understand, you know, every, the, the unitive nature of everything, you realize, oh, my goodness, that, that is exactly how it is. And what, what it does for you, I think, it makes you supremely important uh, as, as much as you are supremely unimportant, right? You, you realize it's not about yeah, both, you anymore. Both. But both both band, right? And you become, mm -hmm. uh, you know, my goodness, I'm, I'm actually breathing God. I'm actually seeing as God sees. So it's a holy experience, right? So you, you, um, you, you begin to honor that in your life, you know, that everywhere you are is this opportunity to, to magnify God or to magnify spirit in some way. So, so that's a fantastic thing, I think, isn't it? It's exciting. Oh, it, it, it is, and it is very exciting. And, uh, you know, I love the words that you use. Uh, it, you know, it's so similar, frankly, to the language that I use. We have, all we have is this moment. That's honestly all we have. That's all that's real. And uh, uh, past and future, they're just, they only have existence as thoughts, perhaps, in this present moment. But uh, things like uh, paying attention to the breath, that, ah, ah, right now, there was that inhalation, ah, there's that exhalation. 
as you're suggesting as well, paying attention to what the eyes are doing. The, uh, Rumi, the uh, 13th century Sufi uh, mystic and poet, he would say you can see with the eyes of the head or you can see with the eyes of the soul. Mm-hmm. And when you keep when you keep uh, when you see with the eyes right up in the front of your face, you're lost in your mind and all the concepts that I am this entity and a will poured into this body and everything outside is separate from me. But when I go deeper, when I go deeper and actually see almost like a mirror that just lets whatever appears in the visual field come flooding into me. There's something that occurs, it's seen with what Rumi would suggest, are the eyes of the soul, and suddenly we have this uh, movement right through the world of visible appearances, and we get a glimpse, we get a taste, we get a very palpable sense of this other dimension, this subterranean uh, dimension, you know, uh, out of which everything, everything emerges. Now, the Heart Sutra... In, Bo- in Buddhism, always talked about that. There's form and there's emptiness. Everything partakes of these two uh, these two aspects, and there's this empty space out of which everything uh, emerges. The quantum physicist David Bohm, toward the end of his life, um, he very strongly wanted the scientific world to hear that he believed that science was only looking at half the picture the world of formal appearance. He called it the explicate order. But there was this implicate order as well that was kind of like a light source out of which everything is manifesting and moving back and forth very, very rapidly. So there are these two dimensions. And, you know, Paul, one of the easiest ways that I'm able to get this across to students is that people will say, yeah, but, you know, I'm kind of a solid body. And that's true from the outside in. We're very, very solid, but the ins- from the inside out, uh, not, not so much. And we may look at each other and recognize each other by our very solid-looking form, the features of our face, but you don't experience yourself as solid. How you experience yourself is just kind of an empty, sort of strange kind of space that permeates your physical body, probably mostly the other part of your physical body into your head. And uh, it, 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 it's, uh, it, it, it's non-physical, it's open, it's spacious, it's empty. So these two dimensions are here. And I believe the work for us as spiritual beings, you know, working on ourselves and uh, growing and evolving, and that's what I believe our, all of our purposes are here on Earth, is that uh, you know, we're here to experience this dual uh, you know, this dual world, the two worlds that we live in. Absolutely. And folks, we're going to experience a break right now because we have to take a break in our show. Um, I'm with Walt Johnson. Uh, we're talking about his book, Breathing and Spiritual Practice. We'll be right back after these messages from Unity. Join us then. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. 
So, hello and welcome back to World Spirituality. I'm with Will Johnson and we're talking about his latest book. It's called Breathing a Spiritual Practice. We've covered a whole wealth of ideas in the first segment and we're going to cover some more in the second. Um, we talked about um, taking it away, down from the head into a, into a more visceral place when, when we're contemplating God and breathing God. And, and there's a, you have a chapter, Will, uh, exactly talking about that, from head to belly. And it reminds me of the Zen teaching, you know, when you're in Zen meditation, uh, you, you center yourself in the hara, which, which is there, right there in the belly, the solar plexus. Yes. And uh, it's the same idea, right? We, we're, we're so top-heavy, especially in the West, right? We become very, uh, it's all in our minds kind of thing. And, and yes. uh, this is not very helpful sometimes. And, you know, you being a rolfer understand this very well, I think. You know, that, that we, um, our necks become very tight, right? Our, our spines are rigid. Um, there's not that flexibility, which is all part of, you know, holding on to the head. If you look at people who are in their heads a lot, their heads seem to protrude forward instead of being aligned with their spines. And um, you can check that for yourself. You know, where's your head today? Um, because so often we're, we're, we're so up in our heads that we're, we've lost touch with the, the rest of our being. So you're talking about getting into the, into the belly, down in, through the heart, into the belly, right? It's, it's a powerful place to be. You know, it is. Uh, it, it, most of us, again, the quality of consciousness that passes is normal in the world at large. It's very disembodied. We are lost in thought. That was the Buddhist teacher, Thich Nhat Thanh's. Ignat Han's observation when he was asked when he first came to the West, what do you think of Western culture so far? His response was lost in thought. So to the degree, <laughs> the degree yeah. that we're lost in thought, the whole of our uh, experience is very, very high up in the body, right up in the cranium where thoughts seem to occur and just keep babbling on and on and on. Now, with a structure like the human body, if our center of gravity is that high, again, as you're suggesting, we're very unstable. And you know, we can't let go, uh, let alone let God. So there's a literal dropping that can occur when we start relaxing into the body and down into, a, well, the center of gravity that's probably around the uh, lower torso that makes us much more stable. And what I suggest that people do when they start this practice of breathing God is just put their awareness in their lower torso. And there's a feeling presence that's there. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's unusual, it's diaphanous, it's a bit shimmery, but you can feel a something, a kind of very open, spacious, shimmery heft in the lower uh, torso of your body, and you just center your awareness there. Ah, when I breathe in, I can feel the belly expand a little bit on the inhalation. Ah, when I breathe out, the belly retracts a little bit. So this just keeps occurring over and over and over again, and to the degree that I can drop myself from my head to my belly, that also helps contribute to the pulling of the plug on the parade of unbidden random thoughts. It goes on and on and uh, on. And indeed, what I found over these 10 days, paying attention to breath, breath is all about the body. Breath has nothing to do with thoughts in the mind. 
breath has everything to do with the body, just as the feeling presence that we have lost touch with, we want to, uh, in a sense, res you know, resurrect the sensations of body, the potency of breath, so that if we can drop ourselves out of our heads, down into this felt presence in the belly, we become much more stable in this practice of opening breath by breath by breath, and that, that can help accelerate uh, you know, the work that we're doing as well. You know, I think it's indicative of our human consciousness that whenever we visualize, uh, you know, alien intelligences or UFOs or space creatures, you know, they always have these huge, huge heads, right, and tiny yeah. bodies. Yeah. And we're assuming that as you get advanced, because we always think these creatures are more advanced than we are, you know, you get a bigger, big, bigger and bigger brain. And, and maybe that's not the way it's going to evolve, you know, maybe the brain doesn't need to get any bigger. Because we're now understanding there's a brain within every cell, right? That there's an intelligence in everything. So, you know, it, it may be a totally different uh, image that we create, that we come to when we, when we do become wiser. Uh, but I think it's a projection, which is so much of what we do in uh, our humanity, right? We project who we are and what we think is going to happen on, on everything else. So it may not be like that, but I think it's solitary to contemplate that. You know, maybe we got it wrong about the aliens. You know? Maybe they don't have huge heads. I don't know. <laughs> you know, look, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, one could say that the goal of theistic religions is to have a direct palpable experience of the presence of God. From the perspective of uh, you know, Buddhism, they would say we want to liberate ourselves and we want to wake up. So, uh, what, what, what wants to wake up? Well, if we really examine ourselves, when we are lost in thought, we are literally out of touch with the felt presence that exists in every cell of the body, as you were saying, there's a brain, there is a, a consciousness in every cell of the body, but we don't experience it. And, you know, for your listeners, as long as you're not driving a car, if you're at home, uh, just do this as a simple little fun experiment. If you put your hand out in front of you with the palm up and just put your attention into the palm of your hand and just start uh, experiencing what that hand is devoid of your concept of what a hand is, very shortly people start saying, oh, there's some little pinprick blips of, I don't know, sensation or vibration or tingling or energy that's going on. Well, that is the awakened felt life of the cells of the body. Remember, if the Buddhist Dharma is about awakening, what's so asleep? When we're lost in thought, we have shut down our awareness, what I call the shimmer, this felt presence of tingle or vibration that could be felt as a very, very potent, very alive current engulfing the whole of the body. And there's so much healing that comes when we're able to shift, uh, shift that perspective. Now, it's interesting, too, when the Buddhist Dharma talks about liberation, uh, yeah, I can understand that, liberating ourselves from, you know, we want to become our highest potential. We want to enter into our highest self. We want to have access to our God self. We want to have access to our enlightened condition. Uh, I, I understand that. For me, what I encourage people to do, let's let go of these high-flown notions 
of liberation. Let's just pay attention to the breath and see if we can liberate the breath from its unnecessary imprisonment in a necessarily held, intense flesh of the body that contains the breath, that holds the breath in, that keeps us breathing with just only a fraction of the breath that's, uh, that's available. And we start really liberating the breath. Actually, the, the rib cage, every uh, bone in the rib cage can move. When we breathe, the spine is not a Roman column. The joints between every vertebrae in the spine are no different from joints anywhere in the body. They're designed for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to move. And we, when we can start relaxing so deeply that these natural motions start occurring, breath gets liberated, and through the liberation of that breath, body starts awakening. So it's a beautiful thing. It all uh, feeds into... Uh, uh, it, it, you know, into each other, and if you're approaching these practices from a theistic perspective, you are going to have experiences that you will describe as that has to be what God is. If you're approaching these practices from a non-theistic perspective, uh, a Buddhist perspective perhaps, you, it, maybe you won't use those words, you use words like liberation or uh, enlightened states, but it's the exact same experience. You know, we're really wanting to open to this extraordinary power that we are, and that we've just been sitting on and holding back on and playing a little bit uh, small breath. Uh, you know, it's time, it's time for all of us to, to open, to awaken, to, to self-liberate. You know, uh, they say that you can't see your own head. You know, you, you can look at it in a mirror, but you can never see your own head uh, directly. And uh, there's an interesting man from Britain called Douglas yes, Harding. Douglas uh, Harding. Yeah, yeah, who wrote the books The Headless Way and whatnot. Yes. He did a number of experiments, right, with this. That this, this spaciousness that you alluded to earlier, you know, is us. Because the... We're looking at everything from this spaciousness, and there's there's God again looking into the universe. You know, this emptiness is is who we are, but we 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 don't uh, worry about it because it seems normal. But but if you do, instead of thinking it's you, your your humanness, your ego, or whatever, but instead it's the witness looking, it it becomes a whole different experience, and it becomes a wonderful experience actually, because you realize, oh my goodness, you know, the whole universe is is here, opening at every moment, you know, and you you have a chapter on that, you know, God, you said God is what happens when I disappear. Um, yeah. which is a sim similar idea, isn't it? You know, yes. when you you move you out of the way. Uh, what's yes. left, you know, what's left is yes. everything, you know, everything that is the universe, except for the, your um, identification with it, your, you know, your interpretation of it. It's, that's not so necessary anymore. You're just wondrously observing it as the, as the unfolding joy that it is. It, it, you know, and it, it is, it gets very fascinating that uh, the egoic perspective, which again is the quality of consciousness that passes as normal, there's nothing wrong with it. We have to learn how to function as separate individual bodies within this world of form. However, the problem—the only problem with it is that it would like us to believe that it's the only perspective uh, through which to experience reality, and that just isn't so. We we're talking about form and emptiness, an explicate order of form and implicate order out of which all that form 
uh, it, you know, that form emerges. So what's fascinating to me about this, Paul, and that's true, I, it, you know, much of my training uh, uh, as a younger man was uh, uh, with Ida Rolf, and uh, she, she was really an extraordinary uh, body uh, teacher, and I really, I really was inspired so much uh, uh, from her. The, the quality of mind that experiences itself as I'm identified with the speaker of those thoughts, and we all have the same name for that speaker, we call that speaker I. That quality of mind is dependent on tension and patterns of folding in the body and specifically in the cranium. So if we're able to soften those, to relax those, and that's what the Sufis suggest. They say, you know, you, you have to die before you die. And they're not talking about any physical uh, death in the body. They're saying, soften those holdings, melt those down so you can open into this other dimension that you're also talking about. Douglas Harding is always one of my favorite uh, teachers of the 20th century. Once you really start softening the holdings in the cranium, and the more you keep breathing, the more the breath keeps touching into the whole of your body, the more these tensions naturally start coming undone, suddenly you might shift to an unusual perspective where the visual field doesn't any longer seem like it's so out there and I'm here in here, but suddenly uh, those boundaries start melting down and the visual field, you can actually experience it. I mean, this might sound you know, kind of, uh, kind of out there, but it's an actual palpable experience. You can relax so deeply that the visual field just comes right inside you, and it's almost like you disappear. The eye disappears. The visual field enters you. The sounds are there, and when you can experience sound, vision, breath, and body like this. God is what happens, because you, the I in you, have disappeared, but the God in you can step forward to experience itself very palpably, yeah, and it's not like, oh, I am God, because I is not there. Only the God self uh, comes through, and it, it's all of our birthrights, and it's worth the price of admission for me it was 10 days in the desert to have a glimpse to have a glimpse of what this is you have a glimpse yes. and your life Beautiful. changed forever right you know the sufis say one clear moment right that's all it one takes one clear so, moment that's all yeah, it takes there we go um well one what you know one clear moment that opens the door once you've opened that door you can no longer pretend that you never saw what was on the other side <laughs> yeah, that's right, right. Yeah, yeah, the one clear moment then gives you the motivation to do whatever work it is that we need to do to relax, to soften, to melt down. The Sufis have a word called uh, thana. Uh, they, uh, I, I don't like some of the translations. They call it annihilation. I think it more is a melting away, a dissolving of the fixity of the egoic perspective. The egoic perspective is like only one setting on the uh, camera lens of consciousness. It's not the only one. There are these other wide open, uh, extraordinarily natural, beautiful, uh, godly, enlightened uh, perspectives that are all our birthrights. All of your listeners, uh, I just so exhort you to, you know, to continue doing the practices that you're doing that are taking you ever closer to an awareness of this dimension. 
you know, when Moses was asked, or God was asked uh, his name, you know, by Moses in the in the desert, you know, he didn't want to give it initially, you know, because you can't name God, right? But eventually right. he said, you know, I am what I that I am, or I I will yeah. be who I will be, or whatever. Uh, the I am, and and the the New Testament, of course, talks about this I am presence. Yes. And uh, I remember reading about Nisargadatta Maharaj. He was a great yes. Indian uh, teacher. Yes. And uh, his his master said to him, just focus on the I am, you know, yes. don't, add that, don't add anything to it. So it's not like I am God, I am spirit, I am whatever. Once you That's do that, right. then you begin to uh, conceptualize it. it right. Just be just be the I am, you know, and, and uh, let that God breathe through you as I am. And it's, it's not the I as ego, but it's the I as the affirmative impulse of the universe, which is the, you know, the, the, the breath of God in action. And uh, yeah, as, a result, as a result of that work, right, he, he, um, he became, you could quote, enlightened or whatever. But, but I, I love that idea. It's very, very simple, isn't it? Simply be uh, the observing I am presence, you know, that, that is seeing everything as, as God, right? And, and and not getting caught up in well I am all these wonderful things right then, then your head right. gets hold of it and you you lose it again right so another of my favorite uh, teachers from the 20th century was Ramana Maharshi mm -hmm. and his his whole uh, technique if you wanted to call it a technique with technique that he kept exhorting his followers to do is continually to ask themselves the question who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And so, yeah, it starts off, who am I? Well, I'm a man. I'm a guy. I'm named Will. I'm sitting in this very noisy cafe uh, right now, uh, you know, talking with uh, Paul. And I, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. And Ramana Maharshi would say, yes, you keep saying you're this, you're that, but you get to a place that the asking of the question itself takes you deeper behind all the words to this I am presence. And when you touch into that presence, he says what occurs, you answer the question, who am I, not with any word, but with a feeling, with a feeling presence. And that's what we're after, and that's what the breath takes us uh, to. The, oh, there are many moments that uh, I combine, you know, the work that I uh, do, the practices that I do with surrendering to the breath with remembering to remember to keep asking myself that question who am i because the asking of the question itself takes you to the feeling place that is uh the answer it's invisible it's it's uh formless but it's very palpable uh and real but, you know very beautiful i'm glad you brought that up you know, there's times, though, where it doesn't, you know, even though we know this stuff, like you said, we've had the clear moments, we've we've awoken to this, we put our hands to the plow, as Jesus said, uh, we still lose it, right? We still can't seem to find it. And uh, you have these, you had these dark nights in, in your Boy, practice sure did. in the monastery, right? Because that's part of it. There's this resistance within our humanness, I think, that... Uh, that wants to sabotage us in spite of our highest effort sometimes. And and it's okay, right? I think that's what I heard from, from what you wrote about, is that um, you can't fight these things. There are going to mm -hmm. be dark nights, right? There's, yeah. there's yeah. no and doubt you, about yeah, that. Yeah, and you have to accept it all. Uh, uh, yeah, there are going to be moments of very shimmery 
uh, bliss and opening and awakening. We like those, but remember that we have spent our lives lost in thought, holding down the body, holding in the breath. And every moment of reaction, uh, we add to kind of a primal contraction right in the center of our body in these beautiful openings that we have they allow that contraction to come to the surface. We couldn't feel it. I couldn't be aware of it until I'd started opening and softening some of the superficial layers. And then you maybe start feeling some of the deep sadnesses, some of the reservoirs, the residues of uh, fear, of, uh, of anger, of, uh, you know, of irritation. Look, ecstasy is another one that we've held back on giving ourselves permission to feel. But we just have to allow them to come forward and just keep breathing. And eventually, yeah, I went through a very dark night there. Was, I woke up in the middle of the night with a great deal of pain and turmoil. And I just had to keep doing the practices. And by the end of the afternoon, it did, uh, it did lift. But that's part of it. And I think it's important that we all realize, those of us that are drawn to a spiritual path that look at our purpose of being here on the planet at this time as evolving our own spiritual growth that it may not just be like sensations of soft falling rain we may become aware of deep uh, pains uh, of deep uh, emotions that perhaps we haven't initially we haven't wanted to feel know that it's all okay we just keep doing the practice and this is what heals whatever it is that comes to the surface, begging to, to be healed. You know, Paul, for me, spiritual uh, practice, over and above it being a spiritual practice, it's healing. It's the ultimate healing practice. We're, you know, we're healing our body of the unnecessary pains and holdings that keep breath restricted and sensations unfelt. We're healing the mind of its residue and its reservoir of... Uh, stored pain, sadnesses, fears, uh, angers. Uh, it's, it's all just about our personal healing, and our personal healing is our planetary healing. Right, yeah, very well put. You know, um, we haven't got time to go into it now, but there are two, two dark nights of the soul, folks, and St. John of the Cross eloquently uh, laid them out. You know, there's the one we're familiar with, which is the dark night, where we, we move beyond the three-dimensional reality and we understand there's something great here, you know, the dark night of the of sense where we're letting go of our old construct. But then there's also the dark night of spirit when we actually have to give up our spiritualized egos because often we could right. think we're enlightened even when we're not. And uh, right. so that's, the, that's the second dark night. But maybe you should do a show on that because that'd be quite interesting. Um, we're winding towards the end of the show, so I want to just give folks um, some information. This this book, of course, Breathing is Spiritual Practice, is available in all the usual outlets. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, Will, what's the best way? Easiest way is through my website, which is www.embodiment.net, E-M-B-O-D-I-M-E-N-T. Net, and there's a place on the website to learn more about what we're up to and uh, contact me. Okay, cool. 
And of course, uh, Will's written several other books on different aspects of the, the spiritual path, uh, all of which are very interesting. In fact, you can look on the archives and see where I've interviewed uh, Will before um, in the past uh, and another of, of his books. Uh, well, I'm going to tell people about next week's show, and then when, when sure. I've done that, I, I want to ask you if you would give a, a, just a word of wisdom in a very short period of time, something that people can take with them this sure. week, okay? So be thinking about that. Well, um, I tell you folks about next week. Next week, Leanne Hull joins me, and she's going to talk about how to live uh, like you want to... Wait a minute. I can't read my own handwriting. Here we go. Try try again. How to live when you want to die um, as a path back to hope for those struggling with hopelessness. And uh, Leanne lost her child uh, to suicide and so has had direct experience of this. So uh, I know this is going to be a very interesting, interesting show. But Will, if there's a word of wisdom you can impart to us, what would that be? Be simply, there's no such thing as a Jewish breath distinct from a Christian breath, different from a Muslim breath. Uh, we, we, we all breathe. We're all humans. And in the breath, we find our common humanity. We do this. And yes, Paul, we, we enter into some extraordinary states because they're unusual. But as you were just saying, it's not about becoming self-aggrandized. Self-aggrandizement to the spiritual path, I often say, is like kryptonite to Superman. It makes yeah. us more human. It doesn't make us superior to anybody or, or anything. The breath is here for the taking. Just take it. Yes. Beautifully put. Lovely, lovely end to today's show. Thanks for listening, folks, um, to this voice of an awakening world and uh, supporting us to keep all these shows on the air. Thanks for listening to World Spirituality, particularly. Hope to have you listen in with us next week. Right now, thank you, Will, for a lovely show. We enjoyed your company, even uh, with the distractions behind you. It was a blast. So thank you very yeah, much. Oh, you're really welcome. Thank you for putting up with the motorcycle. <laughs> no problem. There we go. Okay. <laughs> All right. Take, take care, care, folks. All right. Bye-bye now. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 